Thank you for downloading the Sunday Sermon from Sunday, January 12th. What will it take for God to get your attention? A message brought to us by Keith Williams on the second week in our book of Daniel. For more information about Paragon Church, please visit paragonchurch.com. I want to uh, thank Keith Williams for uh, joining us this morning, and he's uh, one of our leaders at our church. And uh, when I knew that Christy was leaving and such, we set it up for Jerome and Keith to both be able to fill in for me on a, on a Sunday morning for a couple of reasons. One, because my schedule is going to get hectic. And then two, really, uh, I think something I explained to you guys last week was a thing called the lullaby effect, where um, the reason why lullabies work is you hear the same voice and the same tone with the same message over and over and over again to the point it puts you to sleep. Well, I'm the same voice. I give you the same message, and you hear it over and over again. So I really don't want you guys going to sleep to start the new year. So I'm going to introduce a new voice to put you to sleep, and that's Keith. There you go. Yeah, he uh, told that same story the first part, but the la- last sermon he didn't say that I was going to fall, make you fall asleep. So I just added that myself. So if you have your Bibles or your uh, iPad or tablet or phone, turn to Daniel chapter 4. Daniel chapter 4, and we are going to ask the question, how does God get your attention? How does God get your attention? Uh, Before I look at the word, I'd like to pray together. Um, I need the prayer, you need the practice, as someone said one time, but I'd like actually, seriously, for just be a a couple seconds where you would pray for me. I told the first service, I already told Shar that uh, I'm more nervous preaching before you than I, I am when I visit someone else. And uh, part of the reason for that is that you see me, so I have a greater accountability to try to practice what I preach. Um, so uh, that's part of it. Uh, but I honestly ask in a moment that you seriously pray for me that I will... Uh, Get out of the way as best I know how to do that, and then God uh, does that. And then for yourself, the Scripture says that those who have ears to hear, let them hear what the Spirit says. And I'm, I'm convinced, without any shadow of doubt, that if you came here today hoping to hear from God or experience God, that you're going to do that. Now, it might not be through my message. It might have already been through the song. You heard something that spoke to your heart. And you could leave this building saying, I met God today. It could be a hug, an authentic greeting saying, glad you're here. But I'm, I'm convinced that if you come seeking the Lord, you will find him today. So let's just a, keep a couple of seconds of, of silent prayer, and then I'll lead us to prayer. And then we'll look at Daniel chapter 4. Father God in heaven, thank you for the promises of uh, the fact that you will hear us when we pray. We come, Lord, humbly before you because you are God, as we're going to discover in uh, this chapter in Daniel. You are the God most high, and uh, we believe the one and only true God. We just pray, Lord, that, uh, that I will get out of the way, and however you want to orchestrate that, so that the words that are spoken resonate as words from God, uh, and that people will hear uh, as they get out of the way. They open themselves up to genuinely say, God, I I want you to speak. 
It might simply be to remind me of something that I need to be reminded. It might be something new that you will share that I need to be aware of. But however it is, Lord, we pray that we will be uh, not just hearers of the word, but we will leave this place committed to be doers. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> well, I uh, was gone in Lidworth last week preaching uh, to that group, and um, uh, so I listened to Pat, uh, Pastor Matt's message so I could kind of get in the flow of the book of Daniel, and, and I believe that Matt did a really good job of giving a good uh, introduction to the book as a whole, and then uh, when he asked the question, what is your resolution, uh, I thought for a Sunday in January was a good, uh, good way to start the year to ask that. The last 20 plus years, I've made New Year's resolutions. I don't always keep all of them, um, uh, but as my accountability partner, Jeremy, will know, I sent him all of my uh, resolutions for this year and, and asked him to help me hold accountable to that. Um, but Matt started out with this verse of scripture last year, Daniel 1, or last week, Daniel 1, uh, verse 8, but Daniel made up his mind. That's a powerful thing. Sometimes we just get on autopilot and hear, <clears throat> and, but we, we, we don't make that internal commitment to stay faithful, not compromise in what um, the, the sense of last week was. In his case, he wouldn't defile himself with the royal delicacies or the royal wine. It clearly wasn't Christmas season in America there. Um, uh, that was supposed to be a little joke. Thank you for being kind. Um, <clears throat> therefore, he asked the overseer of the court officials for permission not to defile himself. His focus was on standing firm. And as you know, the rest of the story from chapter 1, if you were here last week or listened online, there was, there was conflict in being able to do that. But he, they stood firm. And at the end of the testing period, I think it was three years, I believe, that um, they passed the test. They were selected for service. The assumption is then some were not selected. Later on, as King Nebuchadnezzar looked at these guys, he saw something in them that caused them to excel. One, I think one part of the scripture in chapter 1 says, 10 times greater than all the others around them. And what a perfect way to launch the new year is for all of us to take that step back and ask God, Help us to be people that do not defile themselves, that have a mind fixed on, on what God wants us to do. The first four chapters of, of, uh, of the book of Daniel really have King Nebuchadnezzar as the main character. Obviously, Daniel weaves through there uh, the Babylonian names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego weaves through there. But King Nebuchadnezzar, in, in his decisions, is the focus. And um, I, I think that's important in the sense that when King Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar speaks, he's speaking from first person. So it's not just Daniel saying, this is what King Nebuchadnezzar, what I heard him say, but it's actually King Nebuchadnezzar saying, I did this, I did that. And that gives credibility, I think, to the transition that we're going to see that takes place in his life. One of the things... As you, if, if you did look at chapter 1, 2, 3, and, and now 4, 
you will see God is revealing himself with his authority. That's the theme uh, for these four, the whole book, uh, but these four chapters in particular. And uh, he has these increasing revelations about who God is. Very subtle, almost probably non-existent in the first chapter is these guys who are Hebrews, who, who serve a different God, they are exceptional. And the reality is, I think, all of us would want people in the world, people with a different worldview, a different religious background, would look at us and say they're different. Now, sometimes they say they're different, and that's not a compliment, right? You know, But the reality is we at least want to see that they see a difference. And it, maybe that is the first step to allow us to have the opportunity to tell why we have a great God. In chapter 2, uh, Nebuchadnezzar has his first dream. Um, it was uh, not good for all of the wise men, the, the counselors. You know, we talk about astrologists and all the stuff that made up that inner circle of interpreting. And the thing chapter 2 tells us is that not only did Nebuchadnezzar want them to interpret the dream, but they said, if you can't tell me what the dream is, you're dead. That's a, that's a tough place to be, you know. Uh, it's just like somebody asking me, hey, Keith, uh, I want you to interpret this passage. And I say, okay, well, what passage? So you have to guess. Um, there's uh, several books in the Bible, several chapters, several verses. Well, if you're a man of God, you're going to have to guess what chapter I read and tell me the interpretation, or you're dead. That's what happened in chapter 2. And all the, I'll say the, polytheistic interpreters just threw up their hands. Daniel comes and says, with all respect, let's take a time out here. And if God could give me the, and he prays in chapter two, you read that. If God could tell me what you dreamed and what that interpretation is, will you spare the rest of the people? And if you, Paul Harvey, read the rest of the story, you know that's what happened. Chapter three is probably one of the most famous outside the lion's den, of course, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would not bow before the, um, the golden uh, idol that uh, was made, um, and they were thrown into the fiery furnace. Now, how many were thrown into the fiery furnace? Three. How many did the king Nebuchadnezzar see? Four. And what did he call that fourth one? I see someone like the Son of God. That's powerful. In chapter 2, he praises God. After that, he praises God. Now comes uh, chapter 4. And um, the, the key focus on chapter 4 is the pridefulness of the king. Um, I'm not, I'm not going to camp out on that a whole lot, nor am I going to delve into all the details of the dream. That's your homework assignment, if you haven't read that already. Uh, it's kind of detailed. Um, but I'm, I'm asking the question, why did God want to get his attention? Why does God want to get our attention? So I'm, I'm thinking more of application than going verse by verse, word by word, through chapter 4, if that's okay. Um, so um, the key verse of chapter 4 that we're going to focus on is at the end of what happened, I think it's going to be up there, Daniel 4.34, which says this, 
but at the end of the appointed time. Now, he has this dream in chapter 4. None of the guys like chapter 2 could figure out what it is, but God gave Daniel the interpretation of that dream, and that dream says, essentially, if you don't change your ways, I'm going to take the kingdom away from you. And, and for seven seasons, some commentators say seven years, uh, it's, it's kind of actually not clear, but whatever the seven seasons were, you will be like a wild man. Um, he will grow hair like bird feathers. His nails will grow like claws. He will eat grass. He will essentially be a wild man for whatever those seven seasons were. Okay. At the end of this, we come to verse 34, which it says, but the end of the appointed time, those seven seasons, I, Nebuchadnezzar, first person, okay, he's telling his experience. No one else is saying this. He's saying that. And to me, I think that gives a lot more credibility of, of what he experienced and his articulating that. So I looked up toward heaven, and my sanity returned to me. And what does he say? I extolled the most high. Again, he comes from a polytheistic culture, polytheistic religious background. Um, some of the, the religious activities are, are really bad in terms of moral behavior. And he says, I extolled, I exalted, I praised the most high God. And I praised and glorified the one who lives forever. Now remember chapter 3, he's built an altar, he's built an idol. It's a God, and the God represented him. Something drastic has happened now between that time and after his uh, God getting his answer. I praise and glorify the one who lives forever, for his authority is everlasting authority, and his kingdom extends from one generation to the next. So what I'd like us to do as we walk through Daniel 4, I want to ask you some questions. The first one was in the title, and each part is questions. And um, I just want you to wrestle with that question yourself. Try to integrate in your mind and your heart what the Scripture is saying, and then apply it to yourself. Because we know from what Paul wrote to Timothy, all Scripture is inspired by God, and it's profitable for us. Paul says that all that was written for our benefit. So it's more than just a story that we read over. There, there is a point to every passage, and, and today I want you to look at it in terms of you. You might not, you know, I'm guessing none of you are a king or have been a king, but you're a person, and God wants to get your attention. So the question first is, what does it take for God to get your attention? You know, most of the time I'm sitting where you are. Most of the time I hear and I run through what Matt says through my filter of experience, my filter of training and all that. And sometimes, quite honestly, I just get, kind of get on autopilot. But God has given us his word for us to ruminate on it, to meditate on it, to think about it, and put it into practice. And in terms of King Nebuchadnezzar, we're going to find he's very prideful and arrogant, and he's had at least two major experiences with God already, but it has not really changed his life. And that's what the message is all about. Not my message, but the message of Scripture is for us 
not to be the same place this time next year, but to grow and, and to learn from what God is saying. So let's look at Scripture, four verses 4 and 5. I, again, first person Nebuchadnezzar, was relaxing my home, living luxuriously, yeah, that word, in my palace, and I saw a dream that frightened me badly. Now, at this point, he doesn't know this dream was from God, but he is frightened by it. He goes on to say, the things that I imagined while lying on my bed, these visions in my mind were terrifying to me. Let me ask you a question. Would you rather have God speak to you gently and with comfort, or would you like to have nightmares about what's going on in your life? What God had done already had not got the attention of Nebuchadnezzar to the point that God wanted for him, so now he's giving them this dream that is rocking him emotionally. He's terrified by what's going on. Again, as we talked earlier, he's had a witness of at least four young men who were men of character. He's seen what God did through Daniel in a dream. He's seen what God did with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego through a fiery furnace. But it has impacted him to the point where it's really changing his life. He's acknowledged it temporarily, but it's not become a permanent part of his life. And, you know, the reality is that you and I, through devotions or hearing Matt or other people preach, we might hear something, but the question is, have we really incorporated that into our lives? Or does God need to do something else to get our attention? And that's what God is doing to this person. Again, doing it through his grace. I recently read a story. Matt talked about uh, what Christy went through as she was uh, all the travel. She was supposed to go to Dallas and from Dallas to London. She ended up having to go to Madrid. And he was telling me before the service as we were praying together that uh, uh, she and, and uh, what's the gal that went? Katie, yeah, we're supposed to sit together all the way around when they got to uh, uh, Dallas because they were late, uh, late leaving here, so their plane left. Uh, They were now separated, even going to Madrid and then separated going on to uh, Bulgaria. Um, The the flight that that I'm talking about is a long flight like that, and um, the pilot notified the stewardess that the plane was coming into some turbulence and need to tell all the passengers to get in their seat, buckle their belts. You know, if you've been on the flight with turbulence, you know the drill. And so it was a long flight. People were standing up, kind of walking around, stretching. Uh, and she made their first announcement. She said, Would, uh, our pilot has just informed me that we're facing some turbulence. Will you return to your seat? Put your seatbelt on. Well, most of the people did that. Well, there's still some... You know, it's not here yet. I don't have to worry. I'll find my way to the seat. So she said a second time, uh, please, uh, turbulence is coming. Our pilot says it could be really rocky for your safety. Return to your seat. More of them went and sat down. But there's still a few stragglers. And so she, third time, with a little sterner voice, said, please, go to your seat immediately and sit down because we're getting ready to enter into some turbulence. And so the rest of the people, it seemed, all had sat down. 
And just a couple seconds after that, the pilot comes on. And the pilot, in a much sterner voice, said, for your safety, we are about to enter into an area where it's very dangerous if you are not buckled in your seat. And if you're in the bathroom, that's the most dangerous place to be. Get out of the bathroom, come back, and sit in your seat. Now, how he knew up in the pilot's cabinet, uh, cabin that there was somebody actually in the bathroom, I don't know. But somebody was. And sheepishly, that guy opens the door, closes the door, red face, goes to a seat, and sits down. Now, I, I don't know about you, but I would have rather been in the first group that heard the word and sat down, not the guy in the bathroom who gets called out publicly in front of everybody. But here's what we know about God. He loves us too much to keep us where we are if we're going off track. And one of the things that we kind of get locked into is that, well, the Jews, they were the chosen people, and everybody else, they could go to hell. That's not our God. He wants, he wanted back then, he wants now everyone to be saved. And he is speaking to King Nebuchadnezzar in such a way that he's trying to get his attention. Second question I'd ask is, who is it in your life that will tell you the truth? Now, Helen and I will... Uh, just celebrated 49th in December, we're working towards 50. Helen is the best person in my life to hold me accountable. Jeremy is becoming that. We try to meet every Tuesday and try to hold each other accountable. Um, but every one of us needs someone who will tell us the truth, who will risk telling us the truth. Here's what the scripture says. We already hinted at this, but just let me flesh it out. Verses 6 through 9, it says, So I issued an order for all the wise men of Babylonia to be brought before me so that they could make known to me the interpretation of the dream. He needed help. He needed somebody to speak into his life what he did not understand. When the magicians, astrologers, and wise men and diviners entered, I recounted the dream for them, but they were unable to make it known to me the, interp the interpretation to me. Okay? That was the culture. That was the people he surrounded with. And those are the names that sometimes we would consider occultic today. But that was the culture in which Nebuchadnezzar lived. And he was looking to all these diviners, these astrologers, to tell him what the stars said. Okay? They couldn't do it. Later, Daniel entered, whose name was Belshazzar, after the name of my God. Get the connection? Polytheistic. Okay? That's the world in which he lived. He said, Belshazzar, chief of the magicians. Again, we don't normally think of Daniel as a magician. Now, we know, biblically, he was a prophet. He was a man of God. But that was the culture that he had. That was the name was given to him in the midst of that culture. Okay? In whom I know there is a spirit of the holy gods. What does that tell you about Daniel? It tells you, at least, I hope, that the king recognized there is something different about this man and there's a holiness about that. Okay? So he's asking help of someone that he recognizes has an inside track into what God might say. He goes on to say, um, 
and whom no mystery baffles, consider my dream that I saw and set forth this interpretation. Okay? Asking for help. It's a good thing to ask for help, I think. And uh, he did that. Let's go down to verse 19. If you have Bible, it'll be on the screen. That print might, well, it's bigger over there than it is back there. Uh, verse 19, first part says, Then Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, was upset for a brief time. Okay, you've got the intervening verses between what I just read and I just read that. That's when he tells the dream and the interpretation of what it means. Why would Daniel be afraid? Let me back up. He hears the dream. He hasn't told the interpretation yet. Why would he be afraid? King could kill him. That's right. It's risky when you find a truth and someone asks you for the truth. You could lose a friendship. You could lose a job. In Daniel's case, he could lose his life. Okay? You get the picture? Remember the story of Nehemiah. Nehemiah's brothers came and told him, look at the walls are in shamble around Jerusalem. And that broke his heart. He was called by God to go back and rebuild the walls, but he had to get permission from the king. And he went into the king and said, and I was afraid. Same kind of circumstance, same kind of culture. Then the king said, Belshazzar, don't let the dream or its interpretation alarm you. He said, time out. No matter what you tell me, we're going to be okay. Okay? Get the context? Look down to verse 27. So he tells them interpretation. Then he goes one step further in verse 27. Therefore, O king, may my advice be pleasing to you. I want you to accept it. I want you to think about it. Then he says, break away from your sins by doing what is right. And from your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor. Perhaps your prosperity will be prolonged. The dream was this. You're living with pride. You need to humble yourself before the living God and repent of your sins. And perhaps God will extend your prosperity. Recently, I had an occasion where I confronted someone. I was in a a place where there was a conversation going on, and uh, a person interrupted that conversation. The woman was speaking, others were listening. It was simply just rude. And uh, didn't say anything there, um, but it was just inappropriate for being interrupted. Didn't respect that person, and, and, and the conversation was going on. So privately, after it was over with, I asked the person to step aside, and I, and I talked to this person. And I said to them, I've been able to watch you for a while. I... I believe with all my heart that you love God. I believe, and I know for a fact, that uh, every morning comes up and has a quiet time. I said, you know, if I would ask you a story of the Bible or a theological question, I'm convinced that you would give me the right answer. You see, head knowledge is not the same as behavior. You being able to give the right answers to biblical questions but then acting inappropriately and disrespectful and rude shows a disconnect. And I said, you know what that disconnect is called? And the person kind of shrugged her shoulders. 
And I said, it's called hypocrisy. I said, I expect more of you, but more importantly, I know God expects more of you. The good news is that rebuke, because of our relationship, was accepted. I was thankful for that. Now, how long that will last, you know, I don't know. But it's risky when you take the effort to tell somebody you love and respect you're going the wrong way. And that, that's only going to lead to the wrong place in your life. Daniel did that. The Proverbs tell us this in Proverbs 27, 5 and 6. An open rebuke, I didn't have an open rebuke, an open rebuke is better than hidden love. Wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from the enemy. A Williams paraphrase of that is, it's tough, but it's better for someone to be tough than have people kissing up to you around you. So who do you have in your life that you know is willing to tell you the truth? Third question. Have you ever asked why God wants your attention? Look at scripture. Now, all of this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar after 12 months. So here's the word from Daniel. Here is 12 months later. I don't know about you, but I like more immediate response to things. But Daniel told him the truth, and God gave him 12 months to work through that chain, that, that truth and make a change. And we're going to know from the rest of the story that he didn't. God is patient towards us. He really is. He, he desires for us to hear him and apply what he's told into our lives. And he'll give us time to do that. Now look at a scripture in a second tells us. But after 12 months, he happened to be walking around the battlements of the royal palace of Babylon. The king uttered these words, Is this not the great Babylon that I have built for a royal residence by mine own strength and my majestic honor? We live in a world with a lot of egotistic people. While these words were still in the king's lips, a voice came down from heaven. It is hereby announced to you, King Nebuchadnezzar, that your kingdom has been removed from you. God might be, we might consider God slow in carrying out what he says, but he will always carry out what he says. He will always carry out what he says. He might give you 10 months to meditate on it, ruminate on it, and to figure out how to apply it to your life. But if we rebel against God, his word, there'll be a judgment. Paul tells us the church of Corinth. He said, you know, you're not rightly discerning the body. You're not rightly uh, honoring God. You're not rightly honoring the people within the church fellowship. Some of you are weak, some of you are sick, and some have even died because of not doing the right thing. Here's what Second Peter uh, chapter 3, verses 8 and 9 say. And this is from the message commentary. Now, for some of you, you might say, no, it's called the message Bible or the message translation or version or paraphrase. I think I shared this when I quoted it before. I don't think the message is even a good paraphrase. You look at it sometimes. But sometimes as a commentary, I think it hits a home run. So I'm using it 
like I would quote Spurgeon or Swindoll or anybody else that you respect. This is a, a commentary on this passage. Here's what it says. Don't overlook the obvious here. Friends, uh, over here, friends. With God, one day is as good as a thousand years and a thousand years as a day. God is not late with his promise as some measure lateness. He is restraining himself on account of you, holding back the end, and the end there is in capitals, because he doesn't want anyone to be lost. He is giving everyone space and time to change. Now, in a standard translation, it would say to repent or to come to repentance. And probably Matt has told you, you've read, you know, repentance, it's, it's a very simple concept. We are going one direction. We're thinking one way. We're behaving one way. And all of a sudden, or progressively, we come to the conclusion that what I'm thinking and the direction I'm going is not the best for me. It's not God's will. And so we turn about and we begin to go another direction. So when God is patient with us, it's to give us time to repent. It's giving time for us to change. But if we do not change, God has promised there's a consequence of that. Whatever we sow, we will reap. Ravi Zacharias, a pretty famous apologist, said this. And if you, if you don't believe this is true, there's nothing I could tell you today more important, I think, than this phrase. Sin will take you farther than you want to go. It will keep you longer than you want to stay and cost you more than you want to pay. And if you've not lived long enough to know that, there's nothing I could tell you today that will change your mind. The wages of sin is death. Ultimately, physical death, and most ultimately, spiritual death. The death of relationships, death of health, vitality, all of that. And all of us need people who will come into our lives and speak the truth. Last question. Now that God has gotten your attention, this is true now of Nebuchadnezzar. What's next? Here's what the scripture says, verse 36 through 37. At that time, my sanity returned to me after these seven seasons, seven years. I was restored to honor of my kingdom, and my splendor returned to me. My ministers and my nobles were seeking me out, and I was re reinstated to the kingdom, and I became greater than ever before. And I thought, when I first read that, stopped there, and I think, this guy didn't learn a thing. Okay? Seems to be self-promoting, right? Take a pause. And as Paul Harvey would say, read the rest of the story. Here's what he said. I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven. For all of his deeds are right and his ways are just. He is able to bring down those who live in pride. The attention that God got in his life was not wasted. Again, chapter 4, other than being referenced as a former king, he goes off to sing. We don't know how he died, how long he lived, anything like that. But there is an indication, at least in my mind, that God spoke, God spoke, God spoke, God got his attention, 
and change happen in his life. Andrew Murray, a famous uh, of another generation devotional writer, put this this way. Pride must die in you or nothing in heaven can live in you. That's a powerful truth. What about you? What about me? Jeremiah 17, 23 says, Your ancestors, however, did not listen or pay attention to me. They stubbornly refused to pay attention or respond to any discipline. The choice is always ours. God will continue by his grace and his kindness and mercy to try to get our attention, to try to give us a vision of what he wants to do, our direction he wants us to go. But ultimately, we make the choice. Israel, through the prophet Jeremiah was war- and other prophets, was warned, thus saith the Lord, thus saith the Lord, thus saith the Lord. They didn't listen. They simply didn't listen. And as you know, as Daniel is a, a direct a result of them being taken off into captivity. But God wants so much more for us. He really does. All of us are broken in some way. All of us stray, drift some way or another. Let me close with an illustration. And the last part is actually going to be a video clip. This is based upon a true story. Uh, A young man named Antoine Fisher. It was um, uh, Denzel Washington's first movie to direct. But it's based on a true story. And Denzel actually uh, plays in the movie. Um, Antoine is a, a young boy whose father died and he never knew his father. He was actually born in prison and taken away from his mom and put into a foster home and was abused there, was belittled there. Uh, He became an angry, angry young man. When he was turned 18, he was free to leave, and he immediately joined the Navy. But that anger spilled over. He was constantly in fights. And that's how Denzel Washington, playing a military psychologist, gets involved. And... They're, he's required to go. It's not optional. Uh, matter of fact, one of the scenes early on, he's lambasting uh, the character of Denzel Washington, and Denzel reminds him, look at the stripes I have on my shoulder, son. You know, I have a higher rank than you. You will show me respect. Little by little, there is a transformation that takes place. But Denzel Washington recognizes that there is... Uh, one hurdle that he must conquer, he must get over, and that's his anger and bitterness towards his mom. He doesn't even know even if she's still alive. But he says, you need to find out if you've got any family left. And he begins to do research. He's got a girlfriend. Uh, They work together. Um, She's also in the Navy. Um, And uh, discovers, he's from the Cleveland area, discovers an aunt and uncle in Cleveland, and makes uh, gets time off. Um, I guess he's due a leave. I, I don't you know, remember all those details, but gets time off to go, visits the aunt and uncle, and the uncle takes him to where his mom is. Knocks on the door, and she just shuts down. She's now so overwhelmed with grief that literally she does not say anything. Motions him in. It's a dirty apartment, soiled couch, just the mess of a mess. And at at first, Antoine just dumps on his mom. Why did you abandon me? Why haven't you tried to find me? All the things that you would probably expect someone to say. 
And she's just blank. She's silent. You could see some emotion in her face, a quivering. Um, but she literally is at a point that she can no longer respond. She literally doesn't know how to do this. Somewhere through the conversation, he comes up, sits next to her, kisses her, doesn't say, I forgive you, but all the indication of the body language and her, his kiss is, okay, this is who you are. I, I forgive you, and I, and I move on. So the video clip we're going to see is a video clip of now his uncle taking him back to their house. So let's look at that video clip. That's what God wants to do. In the midst of our brokenness, in the midst of our own prideful, arrogant, thinking we could do it on our own, and the damage that happens as a result of that, he has a welcome for us if we'll just be obedient. If he would never listen to the counsel of the psychiatrist, he would have never experienced meeting his grandmother for the first time, aunts and uncles and cousins for the first time, extended family also, elders of that community. But that's what God wants for all of us. And he will do whatever is necessary to get our attention, even tough things, because at the end of it is the welcome of his grace, the welcome of the abundance of the Christian life. Ultimately, all of us know one day we will stand before God in the heavenlies, and he will say, welcome, enter into my bow your heads for just a minute. I'm going to pray. Worship team's going to come and uh, lead us in a closing song. Closing song, uh, unless it's changed, I doubt it has, is a really solid reflection song about your decision. But let me pray for you, and then we'll worship. Father God in heaven, thank you for your word. You tell us that all scripture is God-breathed, inspired by you, and profitable Lord, I just pray that whatever is going on in our life, there's, if there's a drift, if we become arrogant, if we become prideful, if we begin to think that you're indifferent, if you will, uh, you've lost track of me, that today we'll be reminded that you know everything about us and that you desire for us an intimate and, relationship and, a, and a beautiful relationship with you. And if you push it so that we will move and not be stuck, if you push, it's because you understand how important what you have for us is and that we're missing that at, at some level in our life. So I just pray, Lord, as we began, each person hopefully was sincere. They took a minute to ask, God, is there something that I need to hear today? Is there something that you're trying to get my attention with today. And that, Lord, I've heard, and I'm going to respond. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I know that um, invitations are not part of our culture anymore, but Matt, every week, gives an invitation. If, if there is something in you that says, I just need to connect in a more intimate way with someone, I'm going to be over here. After the service, if, if it's too much, 
uh, to publicly make a decision and someone says, well, I wonder what's going, that's running through your mind. But if you like to talk privately afterward, there is something about making at least uh, a movement if there's something that you need to do. There's the tendency of, well, I heard it, I understand, but you don't do anything about that, just like the 12 months, it begins to fade. So I'm just saying, if there's something that you need to do, and if I'm one of the ones that you'd be willing to talk with, or anyone else, uh, don't leave here without at least telling something to somebody who knows, will listen, and tell you the truth in response. Lead us as we sing, please.